Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will, not, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteous and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while you will see me. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We'll dismiss our school-age kids to the back. There they go with uh, such eagerness. While they go, let me invite the rest of you uh, that unfortunately have to stay in here while they're having all the fun. Uh, open your Bibles to the passage that was just read in, uh, in John chapter 16. <clears throat> if you've been tracking with us as a church, we've been walking through uh, the Gospel of John for several months now. And we've been <clears throat> in this one scene uh, for... I don't know, almost six weeks. Um, and, uh, and the reason is, is John, um, who was one of the better friends of Jesus, um, John the Beloved, spends about a quarter of his gospel on this last scene, um, starting in verse 13 all the way through chapter, uh, chapter uh, 13 through chapter 17, is just this one scene of Jesus in the upper room. He had washed the disciples' feet. He's teaching them. Uh, even last week we talked about um, abiding. Uh, these like last lessons and their spirits are so heavy. And remember, if you remember last week, Jesus is specifically instructing them um, with the nature of trusting him and obedience to him. And uh, the result of that would be the fullness of joy. But you know how... When you're walking through some, something difficult and someone comes alongside to encourage you, sometimes you need to hear a little bit more than that to actually raise your spirits up. And so this is the condition they're in. And their minds are thinking about the supernatural love of God. Jesus telling them that it should fill them so full that when life knocks them around, every time life knocks into us, Every time someone bumps into us, we would spill the love of God all over them. Through success and through pain, through the ordinary, through the extravagant, through pandemics and, I don't know, picnics. The unconditional, extravagant, otherworldly love of God should fill us and flow through us. To the extent that we would saturate the places that we go. This is how the early Christians were known. Because of their supernatural love. Now today we're going to pull back the curtains a little bit and see how this actually works. How does God transform these knuckleheads of the disciples from James and John literally wanting to call down fire and burn up the people they don't like to people who would 
be martyred for the faith, who would love to such an extent that they would willingly give up their lives so that others would see the gospel. What happens in a person? Or a person like Peter who's transformed from this arrogant and proud to this humble and meek leader. We're going to take a stab at it. So much of this is still somewhat of a mystery. It's like explaining love itself to a four-year-old. It's maybe easy to spot but hard to explain. But let me wrap up the context this way. The Christian life is not about learning a bunch of stuff about God or doing a bunch of stuff for God. It is following Jesus and yielding ourselves to him for him to do that work through us. And this takes us to our passage. Look at it with me again. Thank you, uh, Kendall, for reading earlier in verse 7. Jesus says, go back to verse 6. This is not on the screen, but it gives us a little more context. Verse 6, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. I've said before, I love, I love the fact that Jesus tells us what we need to hear. He's just always just right on point. He's just, he's just going to tell us what we need to hear. But, but I love, too, the fact that Jesus is sometimes so gentle in what he says. He, he understands even our feelings. This is what he says here. I, he can see in his disciples, I can see that sorrow has filled your heart. Verse 7, he's redirecting them to the eternal truth. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray this morning that it's more than just words that we hear or words that we read. But your supernatural word that's living and active would cut through even our own hearts today, that you would expose things in our lives that we've believed, that you would firm up the truths that we're, that we're hearing, Lord, that you would do a work in us that would change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> it's amazing to me as we look, we're going to be talking today about the work of the of the Holy Spirit. Now, I grew up in a, in a King James uh, preaching church, and it was always the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, which is no way to kind of scare a four-year-old out of their minds than to tell them if you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Ghost is going to live inside of you. Um, the Holy Spirit, okay, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe better, uh, better transcribe the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, John has been pointing to this from the beginning. If you remember way back in chapter 1 and chapter 3 uh, and chapter 6 and chapter 10 and chapter 14, he just keeps going back at the work of the Spirit. And he's going to kind of let the disciples in on this even a little bit more. And then Paul the Apostle would take this and move it forward and really explain to us how this actually works in the lives of believers as he would write to uh, those local churches. From Scripture, we see the work of the Holy Spirit, and this is, uh, he does a lot of things. He enlightens us. Ephesians 1 tell us, tells us he regenerates us. John 3 tells us that he sanctifies us, the book of Galatians chapter 5, that he empowers us, 1 Corinthians 12. He's always at work in us. He transforms us, 2 Corinthians 3. 
on and on in here in this passage that he helps us, that he comforts us, that he advocates on our behalf. All these things that the Spirit is doing in our lives. But the thing that really stands out to me, and you'll miss it if, if, if you don't read the text for, you know, and meditate on it for 20 hours. He says in verse 7, I know you're, it's verse 6, I know you're sorrowful to, on a heart level. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. They're so sorrowful because Jesus had told them many times, hey, I'm going away. You're not going to see me anymore. This might be the last time. I'm going to leave. I'm going to do what the Lord, the Father has commanded me to do. But don't be sorrowful because it's good that I go. And he uses that phrase, it's to your advantage. This isn't the first time that they'd heard of the Holy Spirit, even in this, in this setting. Remember back in 14, verse 25, Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will come. And I love that in their sorrow, Jesus doesn't just give them instructions for life. He doesn't just say, hey, you know what? The word of God is going to be expanded from just not just the Old Covenant, but the New Covenant, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Um, and it's going, to give you, it's going to give you the instructions. But I don't know if you're like me. Anybody ever tried to put together a piece of furniture from Ikea that's got the instructions? And even the little people like showing you what to do. And then you get to the end, there's like 43 pieces left, and your, 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 your bookshelf now looks like a, you know, like a headboard. And you're like, man, eh, I did something wrong there. Jesus doesn't just give us instructions that we would work to, 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 to try to figure out. He said, in your sorrow, in your difficulty, I'm not just giving you instructions, I'm giving you a person. The person of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just give us the blueprints, he promises the Holy Spirit and he tells us that it's our advantage that we have the Holy Spirit. That would have been so hard for, to even believe. No, Jesus, I don't want the Holy Spirit, I want you. You're with us, you're the one that we love, you're the one that we serve, you're the one that we've left everything for. You stay with us. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. listen, I, you, know, I mean, you don't get it all, I know you're soft right now, but, but I've got to go and it's going to be better. It's going to be to your advantage that I actually leave because a helper is coming. Now, different translations translate this word differently. Helper or advocate. Uh, mine says counselor, comforter. And anytime you see many different words, <clears throat> English words for the same Greek word, it shows us that we really don't have adequate English word to really capture the Greek word here. Just like we talked about the word love last week, same thing applies. And so the different translations use different words like helper, advocate, or counselor. And I think counselor is probably the closest word to the actual Greek. The, the Greek word is made up of two words. The word is paraclete or parakaleo. The kaleo, this is, this is a Greek word that has a lot of teeth. It means to rebuke with the truth, to call someone up, to call out the truth, to call out from something else. And this, of course, is one of the jobs or the roles of the Spirit. He's going to call out the truth. Verse 17 of chapter 14 actually calls him <clears throat> the Spirit of truth. Then down even in this passage in verse 12, I like this too. He says, I still have so many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. 
You're too sorrowful to even hear what I'm saying. So I'm not going to say it. But then Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. When the Spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you or lead you into all truth. And this is so important, isn't it, friends? Don't we need truth? There's ever been a time where we need help knowing the truth, the truth without any spin. Here's what the truth is. And this is what the Spirit does. He leads us to all truth. That's one of his jobs. He's this great counselor. If you've ever met a great counselor, they speak truth to you. They tell you things sometimes you don't like to hear. A lot of times you leave a counselor, you don't like the counselor very much. Because they're, 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 they're kind of poking the sores a little bit. But like a good surgeon, they're actually cutting out the disease in the sore so that it can be healed. If you know me very, very much, I'm, I'm not a great counselor. Um, I've gotten better over time. It's just not my gift. Listen, if you've got problems, call Jason. He's just got this like shepherding heart. Even when he like fusses at you, he encourages you somehow. Like I leave like encouraged, but also I kind of want to punch him. Kind of that kind of. He even says that before he tells you this like truth and punches you in the throat. He's like, let me encourage you with this. You're a loser. No, he, he would never, he would never say that. Um, he just got that shepherding heart and people come to me and they're like, yeah, I've got this problem and I'm willing to sit down. Okay, tell me what the problem is. And they look at me for answers and I'm like, just stop it. Yeah, 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 pastor, I got this problem. I just keep yelling at my kids. Just stop that, man. What do you mean? Just stop it. Hey, I got this problem. I keep looking at things online I'm not supposed to. Just stop it, bro. I just can't. We'll throw the computer in the dumpster, man. Oh, I can't. I'm like, well, counseling session's over because you got a problem. Truth is you need to stop it. And, you know, it's just, that's not what a good counselor does. If not, you would never go back and you would, you know, pay them for 10 minutes. A good counselor does more than that, right? So the counselor certainly is someone who speaks truth. But the way sometimes that I say it is just impossible for people to hear it. What an incredible resource we have with the Holy Spirit, someone who's always pointing us to the truth. But, but you know, someone who's always pointing you to the truth, that can be exhausting. Anyone ever have that friend who like every time you tell a story, they correct you every time? And, you know, you're like, man, hey, the other day, remember on July the 4th, and we were out there, and we were celebrating, we were on the lake, and they, like, interject, like, no, 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 it was actually July the 3rd. July the 3rd was a Saturday. And I'm like, dude, please stop. No, you get, you get the point. Th those friends are, are exhausting, too, but that's not, what the, that's not what the Holy Spirit does. He continually calls out to us, but he calls out truth, and really is what, what this passage is saying. He is pointing the spotlight to Jesus. Look at verse 14. And he will glorify me, Jesus saying of the Spirit, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. He will take the truth about Jesus and he will make it real in your everyday life. You're in a conflict with someone. And your natural fleshly response is to give them the cold shoulder, to slander behind their back, to gossip about them, to whatever, start rumor, whatever it is. The Spirit's in there, and he's pointing us to Jesus in that moment. And he's telling us to love and to forgive and to reconcile. It's what he does. 
The other part of this word, uh, counselor, paraclete, is this word para, the first part. This is a more gentle word, and that's why combined together it makes this beautiful picture of this great counselor. Para means to come alongside or to relate to or to assist or to sympathize. This is why some of your translations use the word comforter or helper here because it's a little bit softer. You have, you have friends like that, that people you call just when you just need someone to listen to you. They're, they're not going to tell you to fix it or stop it. They're just going to listen. They're just, they're just great listeners. And you can listen and they can sympathize and they'll put their arm around you and they'll cry. This, a blessed, you are a blessed man or woman if you have friends like that because they really listen and comfort. Always there to help when you need it. This too is part of the role of the Holy Spirit, that he is the helper, that he is the comforter. So the Spirit's not just a teacher who's always barking out the right thing to do, telling us when we're wrong. Where we miss the truth, but he comforts and comes alongside. But he's also not just the helper or the comforter or sympathizer that's just coddling us in our fear or even in our sin. No, he comes alongside and speaks truth. He befriends and comforts and helps, all the while interjecting the truth at the right moment when we need to hear it. I love that Jesus says, listen, I want to tell you more things, but I can't because you can't handle it. And you know, Holy Spirit does the same thing in us. There are some things I get so angry about. And I'm praying about those. Lord, would you fix that person? They are so wrong. And he just speaks, Luke, I'm not even dealing with that in their life. He's both at the same time. That's why I like the word counselor. The good counselor listens, understands, befriends, hears you out, but also isn't someone who just sympathizes. He or she tells you some really hard things and calls you out and calls you up and shows patterns in your life that you don't want to see, but it's all for your good and for your growth. And this is the work of the Spirit in us. And Jesus says here in, in the chapter before that he doesn't just do this temporarily. Jesus himself had this role in the life of the disciples. As he, as he called them family and, and friends, he had just said greater love in the chapter 4 had no man than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus is, is, is being a great friend, but he's also calling out the truth. He's befriending and speaking truth. Isn't this beautiful balance, what John 1 would, would, would call the balance of grace and truth, what uh, Jason taught on a few, couple weeks ago, of this, this, this beautiful mixture of invitation and challenge in a person's life? And it's not even just momentarily. He does this in us forever. In, in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, same word here, paraclete, who will be with you forever even the spirit of truth. And I love that phrase that will be with you forever. If you're a believer, there will be no time in your future, even for the rest of eternity, that the spirit will not be with you. Isn't that incredible? Every decision you make, every hardship you walk through, every time a friend deserts you, Every time you've come up, up on the, the, the worst circumstances of your life, every time you get the bad phone call, every time you don't understand the future, every time you walk through everything, the Spirit is with you. Every time. 
for the rest of your life here on earth and for eternity, the Spirit will be with you. Isn't that incredible? What an incredible gift. This is what Jesus means when he said it's going to be an advantage for him to leave. Because he's going to send the Spirit who's going to be with us forever. So they didn't have to run and go find Jesus every time they needed to make a decision. They had the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ living inside of them. As I, watched, as I was a kid, I watched this movie, What About Bob? Anybody ever seen that movie? I'm not advocating you go see it. I have no idea. It's been literally 30 years uh, since I've seen it. But I just remember how funny it was. Um, and, you know, my parents didn't let us watch a lot of movies. We may have watched this one at my grandmother's house. I'm not sure. It's this movie, What About Bob, where Bob is this um, unstable patient who can't deal with life on his own and really needs his counselor. And so he follows his counselor on vacation. And, um, and the counselor's family falls in love with Bob and starts to, like, you know, kind of hate on their dad a little bit. And in the end, the counselor goes crazy um, because of Bob. But I thought about this. You know, most counselors don't give out their cell phone numbers. And most doctors don't either. Um, there's this like level of professionalism that's like one step past that. Or even if they did give you their cell phone number, you know, you, you think twice or three times about texting them about random things. But wouldn't it be great if your counselor was actually your best friend and you could just text them all the time and be like, hey, I'm worried about this or I'm concerned about this or man, I did it again. Um, something, something, of that, something of that nature. You'd be like Bob following them on, on, on vacation. Um, Hey, Doc, what do you think about this? And then if you've had a great counselor, they are such a resource. I encourage you to have a great counselor. But as a Christian, we have the greatest counselor. This is what Scripture says. He's the greatest counselor because he knows you perfectly. Romans says he's even interceding on your behalf in prayer things that you don't even know you should be praying for. Isn't that incredible? This is the Spirit inside of us. This is to our advantage, Jesus says. The disciples were always looking for Jesus. Even in the passage, Jeff, you shared earlier, uh, in our little devotional prayer time, Jeff shared out of, out of Mark 9, where, uh, where Jesus and Peter and James John are coming down off the mountain of transfiguration and there's just like ruckus going on and, and they get over there and they're like, oh, there's finally Jesus. And Jesus is like, what's going on? He's like, well, your disciples have tried to cast this demon out of my kids and they can't do it. So, you know, we're tagging you in, Jesus. They were always looking, where's Jesus at? Let's go find him. You remember Jesus steps in and like, you know, fixes the problem or Jesus asleep on the bottom of the boat. You remember that? And the storm's going on. They're, they're, they're losing their minds and they don't know what to do. And they're finally like, man, somebody go get Jesus. And they ran down to get Jesus and he speaks and calms the storm. It's just an incredible thing. They were always looking for Jesus. And this is why Jesus says, it's an advantage that I go. And we see the life of the disciples changed. In Acts 2, if we fast forward... They're filled with the Holy Spirit in, in Acts 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues. Language, actual language there is other dialects, as the Spirit gave them utterance. I love this. I just did a quick like, word study of this this week, and I, I kind of geek out in these things, as, as, you can, as you maybe tell. 
that this word tongues, this dialect, is not even speaking another person's language, but it's speaking another person's language as that language would be spoken by those people. With the dialect, I can learn French, but if I, if I go to France and try to order a bagel, they're all going to laugh at me because the dialect, even if the right, words are right, the dialect's wrong. But the Holy Spirit filled these untrained, uneducated disciples, fishermen mostly, empowered them through the power of the Holy Spirit to speak the gospel in another person's language, more than that, even in their own dialect. Isn't that incredible? The disciples did more in that one moment with the power of the Spirit than they had done in the previous three years being with Jesus. That's why Jesus says it's an advantage for me to go. So the Holy Spirit can fill you and be with you forever and empower you to do these incredible things and enlighten you about the knowledge of God and regenerate you into salvation and sanctify you and empower you and transform you. The Holy Spirit would be in them and in us just what Jesus had been in the person to the disciples, their counselor, their guide, their helper. By the Holy Spirit, Jesus continues the work that he started in his ministry there in us through the world now. Here's the point, that we don't have to look for Jesus when life comes at us. He's already here. He's already with us. He's already in us for those in this room that are part of God's family. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what's mine and declare it to you. You know, I was just thinking, meditating on this passage this week. You know, the, the problem for most of us probably in this room, and some even watch it online, is not that we don't know the truth on a head level. We know the truth. It's that we don't want to yield our life to the truth. We don't see to the level in which we need to apply that truth. Does that make sense? It's like a you know, young adult who gets out of college and starts making some money and they get their first credit card and they're like, oh, this is amazing. I'm just going to go buy whatever I want. I'm not speaking from life experience. I'm going to go buy Jabot's and Doc Martens. I'm going to go shopping at Structure. All these places that aren't there, you can kind of say this is, this is my own story. And then I get married and Ashley's like, what is this $7,000 of debt on your credit cards? I was like, nice shoes, baby. Look at these nice shoes I got. I know how money works, but I don't really know how money works. Does that make sense? And this is, this is I think, most of us. We know the truth. We just don't know to the level at which we need to apply it in our life. And this is the work of the Spirit to take what you know to be true as an idea and make it real to you as, as a practice. What's the difference between a nominal, apathetic Christian and a real Jesus follower? What's the difference between a believer who never seems to grow, who's always giving in to sin, who has no real spiritual power, and the believer who is literally bringing the kingdom of heaven down to earth? What's the difference? Let me tell you, his or her willingness to listen to the counselor, his or her willingness to yield to the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of John's made it very clear that we have a real enemy. Remember John 10, 10? You have a thief, an enemy that's coming to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you have life and abundant, and we are in the middle of this great war. 
of the enemy trying to destroy our souls and make us ineffective and unproductive and suck any joy out of us that's there. And then on the other side, the kingdom of God, through the power of the Spirit, is trying to fill us with abundant life and overflowing joy. And most of us in the middle of this battle forget we're in a battle and we just kind of drift over towards the enemy's side. And you know what his main tactic is? To turn up the noise in our life so loud that we don't hear the voice of the Spirit. The Spirit's always speaking. He's always nudging. He's always reminding. He's leading us into all truth. Jesus promised that that's what his role would be. But we don't want to listen to him. Keller says about this text, about Christians in general, that we don't know when his office hours are. We forget to listen. And so we just go and do our life on our own, and we just trust our gut, and we just trust what we think, and we trust what the world's doing, and all the while we're being discipled by the world, and we hold the same values out of the world until life begins to break down, and then we, you know, we call out, Holy Spirit, we need some help over here. He's like, Luke, I've been, I've been talking to you since I indwelt you on the day of your salvation. You just hadn't been listening. I read this week that the average American touches their phone 5,000 times a day. We just got to touch it. And I read that and I like instinctively tried not to touch my phone this week. And I just couldn't do it. You just, it's just there, you know. Many of us would readily admit that we welcome the voice of the Holy Spirit, but we haven't cultivated a life that allows his voice to be heard. Or we've decided in our heart that we're not going to listen to whatever he says anyway. Like, 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 like we're interviewing different counselors to see which one tells us what we want to hear. Don't we all have friends like that? We're in, a, we're, in a, we're in a pickle, we're, we're, we're trying to figure something out, and, and, and we know some people that are going to tell the truth, and we don't really want to listen to that truth, so we're going to find a friend that's going to just, just coddle us in our sin. We want to hear the voice of the Spirit, but we haven't cultivated a life that allows His voice to be heard. When's the last time you sat in silence for 10 or 15 minutes just listening for the voice of the Spirit? When's the last time you had a big decision before you? And instead of doing just the pros and cons list, you said, you know what? Let's fast and pray for 24 hours. Let's listen for the voice of the Spirit. Or you had a difficulty in front of you and you said, oh, let me search the word about this. Or let me, let me call a wise friend. Or let me listen to wise counsel. Or let me call my pastor. Or let me, let me work this out with people I know who are seeking after the face of Christ. When's the last time you took a day away to have a little prayer retreat, or maybe observed an actual Sabbath. Every time, and this happens every week, I'm not kidding you, somebody from our church or one of our church planters, they'll call me, they say, Luke, I am so stressed out and I'm burned out and I'm overwhelmed. And I'm becoming a better counselor and I say, man, I'm sorry for that. And then I turn the truth on. Man, when is the last time you took a Sabbath? And then they give me all the reasons that they can't Sabbath. When's the last time you rode to work in silence, when you didn't take your phone to the bathroom with you, when, when you fasted from the noise of the world? No wonder we don't hear the voice of the Spirit. We've drowned it out. 
All of these practices are your daily liturgy. Why, why do we gather weekly? Why do we emphasize? I mean, so much. We want you at gathering. Not so we feel better about ourselves, although it is better preaching to 200 people than to 20 people. I promise you that. But so that you would cultivate an environment where you listen to the voice of the Spirit. What did the psalmist say? Where does my help come from? I have to look to the hills. What does Paul say? Hey, get your eyes up, bro. Look up. That's where the help is. Set your mind on things that are above. All of this calling us upward to the eternal realities. And the Spirit is speaking this truth. We're just not hearing Him. Why do we just talk so much about you being in a discipleship relationship? Is it because we want you to have good friends? Maybe a little bit. But that's just another part of your liturgy that cultivates an environment where you can hear the Holy Spirit speak. Why do we push missional communities? Why do we emphasize having Bible reading plans? All these are just practices that cultivate an unhurried life where we hear the Holy Spirit speak. Paul talked about this in the book of Ephesians. If you read through it, he talks about it a lot. I'm just going to focus in. He's explaining to the church at Ephesus a little more about how the Spirit actually works in our lives. In verse 18 of, of uh, verse 5, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. To be filled means to be controlled or thoroughly influenced. This is not a one-time or special momentary filling. It's this ongoing presence of walking in the light that God has shown. It's saying that we're to let the person of the Holy Spirit be the dominant controlling influence in our lives. We don't have time to go into even this Greek word, but it just it's a command. It's for all believers. It's in the present tense, meaning continuous action. Continue to be feel, filled. Or be being filled is what it would actually translate. And he, he compares it with a verse about being drunk with wine. And do not get drunk with wine. Alcohol is a depressant or a suppressant. It allows people, if you drink a lot of it, especially if you get drunk on it, to escape from reality. To not have to deal with the issues at hand. And what he's saying, in the same way that a drunkard loses control of his faculties, so you can't drive, you can't make decisions, to the extent that we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit who's going to lead us to all truth. Don't be drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Got three quick points of application. There's so much in this text. We might be in this for a long time. You know, John covered a quarter of it. Maybe we'll take a year just to finish these couple things. There's so much in here that, that I'd like to teach we're not going to have time for today. Here's a few points of application. One, I think it's clear. Stop ignoring the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Start listening for him. Invite him in, even when you wake up in the morning. Holy Spirit, I invite you to speak to me today, to lead me, to guide me, to stop me. If I'm headed in the wrong direction, the Spirit's presence within us, Jesus would say, is greater and better than Jesus' physical presence among us. The Spirit's presence within us, greater than Jesus' physical presence among us. Stop ignoring his promptings and start listening to him. Pray for his filling. That's why Paul would say to the Ephesians, continually be filled. 
Expect a glorious adventure of being led by an unpredictable God. You have no idea what's on the other side of a prompting of the Holy Spirit. You have no idea what God's trying to do. Just this week, I'm working out. And don't think, you can tell I don't work out as like all the time. I just happen to be working out one time this week. And I'm on my little elliptical, which there's no way to really look manly doing that. Maybe there is. I just don't know how to do it. The Holy Spirit keeps telling me to pray for my friend Eddie Browery. Pray for Eddie, pray for Eddie. And some of you know Eddie. Eddie helped to start the church. So I turn my podcast off and I just start, Lord, I don't know what Eddie's going through. I don't know what he's walking. He's a pastor in, in Shreveport. And I just pray for his church. I pray for his deal. And I just lifted him up for about 15 minutes while I was on there. And I got off and finished the workout and went home. And, and I sent a text to Eddie that next morning. I said, hey, man, I just, you've been on my heart. I've been praying for you. And he responded. and said, hey, but thanks. I was in a motorcycle accident and within a few inches from losing my life today, God spared me. You never know what's on the other, other side of a prompting of the Holy Spirit, what he's doing in someone else's life. When he encourages you to speak up to a waiter or a waitress, to just give them a hug or share the love of God or the gospel, you have no idea what's on the other side. Listen for the promptings of the Spirit. He knows. He's the one that's leading us. Stop ignoring this prompting. Start listening for him. Stop quenching the Holy Spirit and start responding to him. In his letter to the Thessalonian church, Paul says in chapter 5, verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. To quench is to defeat his intended effect, to, to drown out his voice. Ashley and I went on a date, a date last night, and this didn't happen, but... To drown out her voice would be to say, Ashley, just tell me, how's your week going? And as she's talking, I'm just turning up the radio louder and louder and louder. And she wouldn't deal with that. She would literally punch me in the face, probably. It would be the end of me. Jason will be preaching today. Um, that's what it means to quench the Holy Spirit is we hear him speaking and we don't want to hear it. And so we turn everything else up louder. And even in my own life, I've... I've intentionally not read God's word because I didn't, I knew what the Holy Spirit was saying and I did not want to hear it. Stop quenching the Spirit. Stop pouring cold water on the flame that He's burning within your own heart. Instead, start responding to Him. And then, thirdly, my last point is stop grieving Him, but start obeying Him. Again, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Paul says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't quench it. Don't ignore it. And here, don't grieve it. To grieve means to cause pain or sorrow. This is really a love word. When I was a freshman in high school, we, back then I was telling my kids this week, we got our learner's permit when we were 14 and we could drive when we were 15. How crazy is that that anyone let me drive at, at 15? But I remember I got a new car that I'd worked hard and I got it. And after school, I was playing with my janky CD player. This is just when CD players had come out and I tried to install it myself. And uh, Best Buy won 100 bucks. I didn't have that kind of money. I say Best Buy. It's probably Circuit City or Radio Shack. One of the other places not around anymore. I'm playing with the thing and I, I get into a wreck. Just a small little fender bender, but enough that I knew I didn't have money to fix it. This is before cell phones. I'm really dating myself. 
I'm, I'm getting out, and uh, one of the little neighbors right there as we're leaving the high school, you know, comes out, saw all the wreck. All the basketball guys, I was a basketball player, like stopped behind me. You know, the guys on the varsity, guys playing freshman team. You know, they all, they all come out, and, you know, I, they're, you know, roasting me for getting in this wreck. And this guy comes out with this, you know, portable phone, which is incredible that it even went that distance back in that day. He, like, brought me the portable phone, and I, like, called my dad, and he's like, Dad, I got in a wreck. And then my dad went silent, and I thought he had hung up, and then my friends were right there. And so I started using foul language. I was always a pretty good kid, certainly in front of my parents. And I started saying things that, you know, I knew I was not supposed to say. I was trying to impress my friends. Anyway, my dad showed up and got in the car. He's just real quiet. Asked me if I'm okay. I'm okay. And we're just driving in silence. But you know, you know that little cold thing in the car, you know. It's like, Dad, Dad, what's wrong? Are you upset with me? And he said, well, Look, I think you thought the phone went on silent, but I could hear everything you were saying. And those words you were using did not glorify God and did not make me a proud dad. He was grieving. This grief is a relational word. I taught my son to be something different. And in a moment of weakness trying to impress people, he did something else. It's not the severance of a relationship. It's just the grieving. That's why Paul tells us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is leading you to truth, and we grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't obey, when we don't follow. We grieve the Spirit when we despise what He prizes, and we prize what He prohibits. I want to end this way, really just by asking you, What's the counselor saying? And what are you going to do? We normally take communion. We're not doing that today. And Phil's just going to play for his guitar for a minute or two. And then we're going to sing a song. But if you would just take a moment, just right where you're at. And would you just ask the Holy Spirit, this great counselor, to counsel you right now? That you would shut the voices off just, just for a moment. Stop, stop touching your phone. Stop, stop thinking about lunch. Just, Holy Spirit, what are, what are you saying? Where's there sin in my life that it needs to be dealt with? Where am I grieving your spirit, your work? Where am I prizing in my own life something that you clearly prohibit? Where have I quenched the work of the supernatural work you're doing in my life. Or I poured cold water on the fire of God burning in me or even in someone else. Maybe you're in the room today and you're not a follower of Jesus and you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Today would be a great day to take a step of faith. To put your faith and trust in Jesus and his work on the cross. He made payment for your sin. And then at that very moment, as you trust Christ, Scripture says that He fills you with His Spirit. Whatever the Spirit's leading you to do, church, I encourage you to follow Him. Father, thank you again for this day, for these people, for my friends. Holy Spirit, speak to us.
Help us to know not just truth intellectually, but to really apply it. Convict us of sin. Encourage those that are weary and weak. I pray you bring healing power to those who are suffering real physical ailments and mental ailments. And ultimately, Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus. That we would see him this morning and worship him in just a moment. For all that he's done and all that he is. And Jesus, as we see you high and lifted up, would you remind us of the Father's love for us? It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Take as much time praying there as you need. Phil's going to lead us in a song. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone. What's the counselor saying?